you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. Um, We'll continue on in our study in this book. Um, Last week, just to recap, um, we looked at chapter 7. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 8. And last week we saw Samuel re-enter our narrative after having been absent for um, several chapters. And as he re-entered our narrative, we saw him initiating a political and religious revival in Israel that culminated with a dramatic and decisive victory of the Israelites over the Philistines at Mizpah. And in this battle, we see God, the God of the Exodus, really sort of re-entering the narrative. And just as he had thrown the Egyptian army into confusion in the midst of the Red Sea... So here he threw the uh, Philistine army in confusion and allowed Israel to rout them. Um, And then uh, chapter 7 ended with a sort of summary of Samuel's time as judge in Israel. Today in chapter 8 we turn to, I always feel like I say this every week, a crucial moment in Israel's history. Uh, This week um, we will see a transition. Israel start to move from being under the rule of judges to being under the rule of kings. And uh, so chapter 8 is a key uh, chapter in that transition. Um, But before I read it, um, let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do come this day to worship you, and we come to acknowledge that you are our King, that you are our ruler, to whom we take our uh, directives, to whom we owe our first and primary allegiance. All other allegiances being uh, subordinate and indeed uh, conditioned upon the will of you, our King, uh, that you allow us to obey other authorities underneath you. Lord God, we ask that um, as we read uh, the Scripture this morning that you would instruct us. Um, We see Israel uh, expressing a desire to be like the nations around them, and we too uh, express our desire to be like other people in the world around us. Uh, Give us eyes to see the ways in which our desire for conformity uh, betrays your call for us to be holy and distinct and separate from the world. Lord God, we ask that you would, uh, most of all, strengthen our allegiance to our uh, great King, the one who is our prophet, priest, and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over us both now and forevermore. In whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, let me read First uh, Samuel, and I'm actually going to start um, at the very end of uh, chapter 7, um, just to sort of uh, bridge to this um, summary statement of Samuel's time as judge. Uh, so I'll start with First um, uh, Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, and read through the end of chapter 8. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. 
Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards. He will give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So here we see the the people um, expressing their desire uh, to have a king over them. Why did the people want a king?
Yeah, so here we have um, Samuel in a response. If what they're doing is unprecedented, it's in response to something uh, Samuel did that was unprecedented, appointing his sons to be judges. Usually God would raise up judges in times of necessity. And here we have uh, Samuel appointing his sons judges over Israel. Now whether he has the instructions of God to do that or not, we don't know. But um, here we have an attempt to make uh, judgeship hereditary. And the two sons that are being um, placed in this position um, are using it to for their own uh, greedy desires. So they're not judging... Um, in order to lead the people to God as their father did, but they're judging to uh, augment themselves. So part of their desire for a king is in response to these bad judges that happen to be Samuel's sons. Why else do the people want a king? Yeah, they have this this line... um, uh, Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Um, it's this, uh, it's, and isn't that a constant for us from early childhood? You know, wanting something that someone else has. Everyone else has a bike. Yeah, the the culture around us is 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 doing this. Why can't we do that? Um, and the way we can, um, uh, I mean, we can talk some about, you know, is there anything inherently wrong with having a king? Um, that's something I want to talk about in a moment. Um, so the thing itself could actually be neutral, but the way the culture. And employs it and uses it. Um, so, desiring to emulate the culture around us, even if the thing is seemingly innocuous, even if it's politically astute and wise, yes, it works to advertise your church in certain ways or change your worship to um, to bring people in or you know make whatever adjustment to your theology. Um, well, people don't want to hear that they're sinful, so we'll tone that part of our message down and we'll put out a message that really brings people in and then maybe later we'll emphasize that but you know there are all kinds of ways we can take um, these kinds of strategies of the world and mix them in both into our individual practices but also uh, thinking here in our corporate life as the church I think it points out that uh, Samuel deserves some blame for this selecting king. Uh, it doesn't indicate at all that he's trying to reprimand his sons or correct them. Of course, appointing them, as you pointed out already, is wrong. But... Or maybe, I mean, we don't know. But, I mean, it's sort of, he's provoked the situation, in a sense, by appointing them kings. And, yeah, we don't see any sense of him uh, rebuking his sons, acknowledging they're wrong. Later on in chapter 12, we sort of get a recap 
of this uh, episode or a similar kind of episode with the inauguration of of Saul. And Samuel makes the people uh, literally take an oath saying, did I ever do anything wrong as judge? And the people are like, no. Now he doesn't say, did my sons ever do anything wrong at judges? And he would have gotten a different answer. Yeah, and that's another reason he they they give. Um, you're old. Um, you know, what are we going to do when you die? Uh, yes, things have gone swimmingly um, in your time of judgeship, uh, and I mean that's the picture we have of him being judged. The Philistines' power is rolled back. The cities the Philistines had taken from Israel are restored. Um, there was peace between Israel and the Philistines, and peace between Israel and the Amorites. So they have peace on both their uh, Western and Eastern borders. So, you know, his has been a tremendous time of success, but the people know history. They know, yes, a judge like Gideon came and, you know, we had good times for 40 years and then it went down. You know, these judges are periodic, but there seems to be a slacking off and things return to some kind of. Um, state of anarchy. So, again, there's a lot of wisdom in, in what they're requesting. And he's, uh, and we don't know, uh, unlike um, Eli's sons, and that would be our closest comparison, it seems like, uh, yeah, that uh, Eli, his model as a father, but we don't get any sense of what um, Joel and Abijah are doing. We do know he's named them good things. I mean, Yoel, uh, um, Yahweh is is God, and Abijah is um, Yahweh is father. So you know these are good names, <laughs> um, and you know they did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. I mean, I, again, it's hard to know. We're not given details on what their upbringing was, but it seems like their positions of power have corrupted them. Um, So maybe he did raise them up. I mean, we don't know. Uh, As you say, um, you know, children are our Achilles heel. You know, know, things, behaviors we would not tolerate in ourselves. You know, well, it's my child who I love, and I can let that go. uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. Um, th- you know, they're certainly doing this for their own selfish gain. Uh, whether that's because they've had an indulgent father or because it's, you know, they're put in positions of power that corrupt them, it's hard to say. Mike, you're good. Well, it looks like the people uh, are rejecting God. You know, they are attributing to Samuel what the Lord has. Samuel, 
when we get um, we'll turn to God and Samuel's reaction in a moment that's God's you know look people haven't rejected you they've rejected me and I think we get a sense of the people sort of acknowledging their rejection Go, look at um, look at verse 20 uh, so here we have the people after Samuel's given them this warning of what kings are like the people repeat their demand for a king um, no but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles what's different about that second one? Yeah, we get this, you know, the first time we want a king like all the other nations. Here we want a king that goes out and fights our battles for us. We don't want, I mean, in chapter 7, God fought this battle for them. And they defeated the Philistines. And here in chapter 8, they're like, we want a king to do that. This is not normal for a nation to have a God go out and fight for them. You know, I mean, it isn't sort of like uh, you know uh, children on the playground or something. You know, and you know the parent is always you know, and at some point the child's like, "Look, I can fight my own battles. Back off, Dad." You know, um, I mean, there's sort of we want to stand on our own. We don't want a God to to go out before us and lead us in battles. We want to be like everybody else and have a king who fights for us. So, I mean, there we're starting to get, uh, you know, in God's um, reaction to this request, we see that he's reading it as the people rejecting God. Um, But there are also signs in what the people are saying, that they're acknowledging, yeah, it's not just Samuel and his sons that we're frustrated with. We want a king to be... You know, like the other nations. It's not normal to have a God go out and fight for us. I think, once again, this is sort of us. This is us in, in the way that we do things. You know, we sort of phase our decision making in you know, God opening doors and closing doors. And when you look at what, what the People say when you come to Samuel, they're pointing out things that are justifiable as reasons for not wanting Samuel's sons to be judged. There's, there's a problem. They're, they're doing stuff that's wrong. And, you know, us in that position today, we might say, well, it's like God's closing the door here. He obviously doesn't want us to be led by these people who are. Uh, they're not walking in the ways of their father, who was walking in the ways of God. So let's have a king. But then their hearts come out, and a lot of times, you know, we're holding these things inside, and we may not verbalize them, but we have these things that we want, and we like it when things go a certain way that cause us to get what we want. And so I think this is a real warning to us that, that we should be looking to what God's will is, and some 
it's a hard thing. It's not the door being opened or closed. It's a wall that he puts in front of you and says, this is your obstacle that you need to deal with. And, and not simply go the easy way because it gives us what we want, which is secretly what we're following anyway. And, and so I, I think that there's a, there's a real warning here for us as we look at this and say, we don't want to be like, we don't want to be like the people here who they ultimately reveal their own hearts and we kind of keep it hidden to ourselves and then verbalize it, but we, we struggle with the same thing. And what we need to be concerned with is what's important to God. Yeah, it's the will of God. Um, and again, it's um, we'll talk about this um, in, in a second. Um, it's not that a king is, you know, inherently bad. I mean, God um, has rules for kingships in Deuteronomy. Uh, God seems to have uh, made all kinds of accommodations. All right, if this is the political system the people want, this is what the king should do in that system. But I, I think you're absolutely right. It's what this says about the people's hearts, um, their motivations for the request. Um, you know, it, it's it's not that the request itself is inherently wrong, but what the request shows about what shows what's wrong about their hearts at this moment. George. May judge us and go out and fight our battles. It's about us and that process. They are unable to identify God as their ruler. They when they say us, our king is really us. So we are the ones who want to take credit for that victory. And that I think the same is from the actual when we have humanism as opposed to God taking giving God credit. That's the root of evolution and all these other philosophies. We want to We want to be able to finally uh, be the one that does it. We want to be at the center of history. Yeah, that's uh, and that's uh, to me the most um, that's the most striking verse in this, and we get it three times. God saying, um, "Obey the voice of the people." Um, Three times. I mean, it, um, you, it's it's really um, we we see the way that they're going astray. Um, we see the ways we go astray, and yet God's saying, "All right, let's give them a little more rope. <laughs> let's let's let the the leash out a little more. Give them what they want." Um, um, so. Um, we started this, but is having a king inherently bad? What's wrong with this? Um, so we see this as wrong. What's wrong with wanting a king? Well, I kept trying to remember the, uh, uh, for some reason, the um, Monty Python sketch about um, where King Arthur shows up and they're like, well, how'd you get to be king? Well, the Lady of the Lake threw a sword. And, like, you know, that's no way to choose a government, some watery tart flinging swords. <laughs> what kind of basis for government is that? Where's the will of the people? <laughs> Uh, 
Yeah, uh, we'll get to Samuel sort of lays out, all right, let me just make it real clear. (laughs) This is what you're asking for. This is what comes with it. (laughs) And increased taxation is uh, is, uh, an accompaniment of having a king. more local um, you know more you know Samuel goes back to his house for a large I mean we're given this sort of pattern he goes around has these periods of judging the, the nation in different places and then he goes home <laughs> um, you don't have this sort of courtly presence you don't have the pomp and circumstances when foreign dignitaries show up uh, who's your leader well let's see Samuel but he's in this little village off in a corner somewhere and <laughs> yeah, what what kind of what, what kind of country is this? Where where you know, can you see foreign dignitaries showing up? You, you know, what? You know, where's your ruler? Come on, get with the uh, 12th century BC. Um, you know, this is the Iron Age. People have kings. Come on, get with the program. Um, I, I think you're right, Mike. There is this. Um, how can you have respect among the nations if if your system of government is seen as backwards, tribal? Um, you know, oh, you've got you know this informal judge that goes around and administers justice uh, periodically. You know, where's the bureaucracy? Um, where's the order? So I think there's that desire for pomp and circumstance. Um, and as we've said already, the people already have a king. I think that's the real problem here. Um, you know, God says, um, you know, they've rejected me from being king over them. I, and this goes back to like what George is saying. You know, it's not that they... Um, it's it's not that they don't acknowledge God's kingship. It's that they want a human king. <laughs> they want themselves to be at the center of their story. They want it to be about us and our king fighting our battles and write this God out of it. Again, this is... Well, who's your king? God's our king. Well, who's your ruler? God's our ruler. I mean... Imagine the looks somebody would get today. Um, well, you know, we've got different nationalities represented in this room. Actually, Barry's not here, so my Canadian is gone. So not as many as I had planned on. Um, but, you know, well, what's, your, what's your citizenship? 
Oh, well, I belong to the kingdom of heaven. What kind of you know looks are you going to get in street corners with that response? <laughs> Travel is a little restricted. I don't think that's going to pass the uh, Homeland Security's new rules for international travel. Yeah, God gave me a passport. that um, you know they can accept the consequences that Samuel's laying out before them and be like yeah we know all that but we still want a king <laughs> um, Yeah, there is this. They, um, if they think, uh, um, you know, the king's going to be their puppet, they're wrong. And, you know, when we um, think about, you know, the audiences, some of the original audiences reading this, and we think about sort of the history of kings. One of the kings whose thumb rests heaviest on the people we might list among our good kings, Solomon. I mean, Solomon, um, he puts the screws on the people in terms of taxation and required labor. And, um, you know, we, we, I mean, we rightly elevate Solomon's wisdom as king, but... Um, he's a king, and you know we see him multiplying wives and greatly augmenting his court, where foreign dignitaries are impressed by the wealth and status. And where's all that wealth coming from? It's not just coming from his, you know, you know, figuring out alchemy and turning. You know, it's figuring. He's figuring out new ways to get taxation from the people. <laughs> he's politically wise. Um, so it's. Uh, you know, often we think um, in terms of Israel's relationship with kings going sour when they have a uh, spiritually bad king, but in our narration, it's a spiritually good king. Uh, well, it's hard to call Solomon spiritually good. He's, he has that wayward time. But someone who we would usually put in our, you know, if we were separating out our good kings and bad kings, we'd almost always put Solomon in the good kings. And yet it's under his rule that we see all these things that Samuel warns them about. 
multiplying of horsemen and chariots and increasing the size of army and creating this enormous bureaucracy and taking your land so he can give it to someone else um, who works for him or appropriating your resources for his personal needs and gain. That's happening under good kings, um, not just bad ones. Um, and that's what I think is really striking about this list that Samuel lays out before them. These aren't, and these aren't the. He's not painting the worst case scenario here. This is normal. Kings increase the size of their armies. That's what kings do. Not good kings, not bad kings, doesn't matter. Kings increase the size of their armies. Kings um, create bureaucracy and have their court favorites and they have to repay those favorites in certain ways. And all these things that kings have, these palaces, the pomp, the circumstances, it costs money. Kings, good, bad, are going to increase Taxes, 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 taxes. Uh, the tithe, the tithe, the tithe. The king is going to get his tip. Uh, good kings or bad kings. Uh, so, why does God say three times, obey the voice of the people? I've been wrestling with this for a long time, so if you've got wisdom on this, <laughs> please. Bill. some 500 years of having kings in Israel and after the captivity is over they don't ask for a king anymore <laughs> um, you know with the return that, that sort of ends the, the you know the king talk dies down they have centuries of what a king's like and then after that they seem to be happy with God as their king once again um, so, so part maybe he's uh, like the this father and prodigal son. All right, go out and then you know, creating this return. Why else might he, my God, um, instruct Samuel to obey the voice of the people? of the king, the one in, um, in the Davidic line, the royal line, the one who will sit on the throne. Uh, I'm the world's worst chess player. I cannot think, you know, six moves ahead, seven moves ahead. But, you know, 
God would be, you know, well, impossible. Uh, but but to think about that. You know, he's he's playing chess with ten, you know, billion moving pieces, and you know, he's planning a thousand years ahead. Yikes! <laughs> um, and we we um, I mentioned this. Flip with me back to Deuteronomy. Um, chapter 17. Um, you know, even during the Exodus, uh, you know, God's looking ahead to this exact moment. Um, Deuteronomy 17, uh, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So there we give um, you know, God, well in advance of them ever asking for a king, has anticipated this request that they're going to come, and he gives in the law, alright, when you have a king, these are the laws for the king. He must not be a foreigner. The king must not multiply horses. The king must not turn to Egypt in order to multiply horses. The king must not multiply wives. The king must have this law read to him every single day. The king should um, be responsive to God, to be God's representative. Um, So, you know, it's... When we see Israel's request, it's not the king that having a king in itself is inherently wrong. Um, you know, it's not that he's trying to push for democracy or uh, you know, judgeship is the ideal way of. It's what the. Uh, it goes back to the heart. What this request tells us about the heart of Israel. Um, you know. It's, it's what the desire says. It's not that having a king in and of itself is wrong. Um, in fact, God adopts that title uh, for himself. That is his title. He is king. And it's a title we still use today for God. That Christ is our king and our Lord to whom we owe allegiance. Um, so what does it mean for us... To continue to say God is our king, and what does this do 
for any earthly allegiances we might desire or demand. King Warts and all. And, and for us, you know, when we look out and, and, and we start looking at what, what God calls us to do, we need to look at what God calls us to do. And even God is gracious enough as, as He was with three times saying, Go ahead and give me the king. He's gracious enough to give us the warnings. He, he gives us the warnings of His word. of the grace in this moment um, you know and I think that's part of the reason I I, um, I sort of struggle against the uh, God, okay obey the voice of the people um, you know I want the people to be <laughs> smacked down what you know you, you just said this is the you know, these are the pe- things these people have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt to even to this day. He's like, what's new in the request of these people? But it shows God's faithfulness and grace to them that God hasn't cut them off in Egypt. God, God didn't cut them off in the period of the judges. God's not cutting them off now. Um, he is graciously pursuing them even at this moment. And that, that's, that's the difficult line we're put in. You know, what do we owe to Caesar? And what do we owe to God? What do we owe to the state? And what do we owe to God? And we have to be cognizant of those ways. Sometimes the state will ask us to do things that are contrary to God. And that's where we have to... I mean, those are the moments that are tough for us not to conform. Okay, the state said so. And we do what the state says. We, you know, we're giving Caesar the allegiance we're called to. But you know, our, we have to always keep in mind our first allegiance. Yeah. 
gospel there again after every day goes off the gospel go off the location follow something else that we know is not going to because we like to be in control. <laughs> I mean, take it back to... Yeah, we think we can be independent. Oh, you know, I don't need to take this to God. I can do this myself. Um, or we can figure this out, you know. Uh, you know, I, I like problem solving, you know. All right, we get enough people, smart people together, we can figure any problem out. You know, there are a lot of talented people in this congregation. You know, we, can, we don't need to bother God at this one. Um, there, there's always this turn toward uh, uh, self. Uh, I mean, to go back to George's, I mean, this is the um, the root call of our culture today is it's all about us. Humanity's at the center of history. Humanity's the driving force in history. Um, and this passage is confronting us with, no, not only is humanity not at the center of history, we find God who can play chess with 10 billion pieces and make moves a thousand years ahead of time. Um, uh, so I, I'm glad we, we sort of focused on this to capture the grace, I think. And um, that's what I want to sort of close on. That... Um, you know, you can view this passage all kinds of ways. Um, we can view it, especially with us, you know, with the Paul Harvey. We know the rest of the story. We know this whole kingship thing isn't going to go quite the way the people of Israel want. Um, you know, uh, you know, we could sort of go that way. Aha, see the people, you know, and we can put ourselves in the all-not-knowing uh, outsider seeing the whole of the story see we know better um, but I don't, I don't think that serves us very well and it makes us miss what what it's like to be in this moment um, and to see God graciously dealing with his people here um, knowing that having an experience of a king prepares people to receive the king um, the, the coming of a, a human king um, who is also the God King. Alright, let's uh, close with prayer. Our God, we do praise and worship you um, for being our great holy King. And you call us to be your holy people. And we confess that is um, our constant sin to be conformed to the world to look to matters of political expediency rather than to follow what you've commanded us to adopt practices that um, seem smart and that there are good reasons for adopting them but they are contrary to your will that we so often desire to conform to the wisdom and rule of this age rather than being um, living testimony to the rule and the existence of your kingdom. Uh, Help us to be citizens of that kingdom. Um, Give us wisdom to how we exercise citizenship to our respective um, nations in this world. But uh, most of all, teach us to be citizens of your heavenly kingdom. 
and how as citizens of that kingdom we act differently than the world around us. And as citizens of that kingdom, um, we follow a king uh, who deals with his people through grace, who doesn't uh, give us what we deserve, but gives us um, the grace that allows us to, uh, to go through this life and prepares us for a life of eternity. Um, help us to be witnesses to that kingdom, we pray, even as we come in the, in the coming hour to worship you, our great, high, and holy King. Amen.